Good morning, church. Uh, worship was incredible, yeah? So good to see all of you in the house of the Lord, and so good to see all of you watching online. Give a shout out to a, a few people online from Farmington and Albuquerque, New Mexico, several in Austin, Temple, Round Rock, of course, Pflugerville, Hutto, Tyler, Texas, and Indiana. Can we give it up for our online congregation? I wonder who's watching in Indiana. I don't know, maybe the Harris family. We've got the Harrises in Indiana, and the Harris is on the front row. Well, on the front row, Teresa and Chase. Oh gosh, Chase, Teresa, run up here. You have to say hello to your family. I want to, we're going to get a face, not that you don't have FaceTime, but. What's up, mom and dad? Hi, <laughs> Terry and Matt and the kids. Yeah. Okay. All right, yes. Good. That was awesome. That's really cool to have you know, part family here, part family there. Um, I want to I take a moment to remind us all of the mandate that we have for evangelism. And I love seeing so many first-time guests in the room today as well. But those watching online, those that are, are still a part of our congregation but from home, um, and those of you that are now coming in the room, listen, evangelism doesn't stop because there's a pandemic. We don't stop reaching the world because the world is scared to interact, right? And we use wisdom, of course, in those interactions and, and those conversations. But I just want to remind us all that, number one, we don't know when Jesus is returning. Could be today. It could be generations from now. I'm leaning more towards closer than later. And if we do believe that time is short and eternity is really long, then we cannot be lazy in evangelism. We cannot be lazy in reaching out to our friends and family, inviting others to watch. Did you know that when you, even if you're in the room, if you jump on social media and you share the link to the live service, that is an effort of evangelism because all of your connections on social media that don't know the church are having access now to the service. So I just wanna encourage us all, continue to, reach forward and to love people well. And we love people well by introducing them to Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Today, I, I want to continue our series on the 21 days of prayer and fasting. We began it on the first Sunday of January. Today is day 14 of our fasting and prayer. For those of you who have continued and and stuck with us. If you've not started, it's not too late. You still have seven days. And listen, when you're fasting, seven days is a significant amount of time. And so if, however that looks for you, if you want to fast a meal, fast food, fast social media, fast. I know um, one person that has fasted before just being negative. And that's a big deal, right? Watching everything that comes out of your mouth. I know someone that fasted chewing ice. And it sounds silly until you're the one that's addicted to chewing ice, right? So whatever it is that you want to just release to the Lord and spend that time, the goal is to replace whatever thoughts you would have or time you would have during that activity. You replace reading God's word, spending time in prayer, meditation, sitting out in your backyard, watching the clouds, just allowing the Lord to 
love on you and to speak to you. So it's not too late if you've not joined us. Uh, we do have seven days left. My kids asked me this morning if this was the last day. And I said, no, not yet. We still have seven more days. So today, I want to talk to you on the subject or a subject that Jesus spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew, the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And he specifically speaks in chapter 6 about prayer. Prayer. Now, when we're fasting, prayer is important, right? You don't just give up food and indulge in Netflix, right? You don't give up one thing to overindulge in something else. We spend that time in prayer. And I am quite fascinated by prayer. It is, it is the one thing that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to do. Have you ever thought about that? Of all the things that they saw Jesus do, heal the sick, multiply the loaves and the fish, walk on water, of all the things, raise the dead, right? Uh, give sight to the blind, give hearing to the deaf, of all the things the disciples saw Jesus do, the one thing, the only thing they asked him to teach them to do was to pray. It's kind of a big deal, yeah? And I wonder why that is. I, I know that they walked with him, they ate with him, they slept alongside him, they saw the emotional interaction with him and the world, and they saw the times and the seasons where he was overwhelmed with sorrow, where he was encountering tension, and they witnessed Jesus break away from the crowd to go and pray. And when he returned, they knew something was different. There was so much power in the return of Christ from prayer that they said, Lord, above all, I want you to teach us to pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 13 says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Now listen, let's stop right there and realize there's nothing wrong with standing in a synagogue and praying. There's nothing wrong with standing on a street corner and praying. What's wrong is the motivation of their heart at the end of that verse that they may be seen by men. The motivation of pride, the motivation of ego, that's what the Lord is suggesting we steer clear from. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. All right, stop. Some of us are afraid to pray because we just repeat the same thing over and over and over. Anyone can relate? A few of us in the room. Okay, yeah, you're like, I don't want to pray in public. I don't want to pray in front of people because I say the same thing over and over and over and over. Listen, the Lord is not telling us here that we can't repeat. If we look again at the last part of that line, it shows the motivation because the Pharisees were using vain repetition 
For they think that they will be heard for their many words. What is that? That is performance orientation. If I say it enough, God will answer. If I say it enough, people will think I'm holy. God isn't saying you can't repeat. God isn't saying if you didn't get healed, did not pray again. God isn't saying that you can't pray over and over and over for breakthrough in your life. He's saying to us today, number one, watch our pride and our ego. Number two, we can't perform our way into answered prayer. Verse eight, therefore, do not be like them for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is known as the Lord's Prayer which is ironic because it's actually a prayer that he can't pray because it's asking for forgiveness and he was sinless, but he's teaching us how to pray. So can we together say this prayer out loud? We're gonna put that on the screen. Again, starting with verse nine, Jesus says in this manner, therefore pray, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Father, we come before you today. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your word that is revelatory in nature, but ultimately is transformational. God, those of us in the room and watching online, our, our spirits that have become tired and weak or, or dead spirits among us, we call them to arise and to wake in the name of Jesus. We call them to life in Jesus Christ. Father, I ask that your word, your word, God would just shine in the dark areas of our heart today. God, that you would challenge us to step into deeper relationship with you. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say, amen, amen, amen. On January 30th of 2018, so not too long ago, there was an article that was published by The Guardian and it was titled, Poll Finds Non-Believers Turn to Prayer in Crisis. Studies suggest polls find that non-believers turn to prayer in crisis. Now, I know that's true because even as a Christian, if something is about to happen, I will find myself turning to Jesus real quick. Do you, you know what I mean? Um, even in some ways that maybe I, I shouldn't, like a, a car's cutting me off and I'm like, oh God, no, not God. Oh God, no, I'm sorry, Lord. Lord, please help me. You know, do you know what I mean? I know I'm not the only one, okay? But the world, those who don't even, you know, claim to follow Christ, they, they will often turn to prayer in crisis. Now, some of us have the older brother syndrome. 
and we get upset when people want to turn to Jesus in crisis, my thing is, bring it on. I, I don't care that you've waited till crisis to seek his face. I don't care that you've waited to crisis to bow a knee in prayer. Like, whatever it takes, just come on. Come to the table. There's room for all of us. Those that have been sitting here, those that are serving, those that just walked in the door that even smell bad and aren't dressed right. Like, come to the table. Are you with me? Right. Paul finds that non-believers turn to prayer. There's a senior citizen, this story uh, was in this article. His name was Henry. He kneels and prays every night. He starts by silently reciting the Lord's Prayer that we just did. And then he asks for his loved ones to be kept safe and well. Every night, bows down, he does that. Now that would be remarkable, commendable even for a Christian to do that. The crazy thing is, is that, that Henry isn't even sure that he believes in God. He said, I wonder why I don't stop doing it, Henry says. Sometimes I feel like it's kind of hypocrisy. Henry doesn't even know the Lord, yet he prays every night. Now listen, I, I know that this happens in our world, and many of us have our own examples. We've done it ourselves. We know that many of the 12-step programs, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, SEX Anonymous. Uh, a lot of these anonymous programs are built on, <laughs> there are kids in the room, that's why I had to spell it. I don't know why I had to spell it. I almost did Pig Latin XA, but I don't know. Um, but all of these programs are really, you know, they incorporate significant daily prayer. It's, it's fascinating whenever you get to see how they utilize prayer. They Many of them pray to the higher, their higher power in whatever form that is for them, whatever they can perceive a higher power. Because remember, people that are coming in um, and trying to break free from addiction, many of them don't even understand the concept of God at all. And so they just meet them where they're at, these programs do, and they pray to their higher power. What I love about the 12-step program is that many people, they enter broken, very far from God. They pray to this random higher power, but somewhere in their recovery, they meet Jesus. Because he is the ultimate higher power. I, I love that. You know, prayer, even in AA, NA, SA, they understand the power of prayer. Did you know that there are spiritual principles that keep the world moving that apply to every human? Right? Giving and so sowing and reaping, right? Giving and harvesting. This is a spiritual principle that applies to everyone. Whether you call yourself a Christian or not, if you're greedy, you're going to find yourself without if you're generous, you're going to find yourself in a state of overflowing and abundance. This, doesn't just, this isn't just a promise for Christians. This is human nature that God, God designed. And it's the same with prayer. Prayer is powerful. Prayer produces change. Prayer is our most basic response to the love of God in Jesus Christ. And as a spiritual discipline, it forms... Its forms are numerous and they're varied, but at the end of the day, 
the most important thing we need to understand about prayer is it's simply opening our hearts to the presence of God. You don't have to say the right words. You don't have to repeat the prayer in Scripture. You don't have to um, follow a formula to get what you need. God just wants to talk to you. He just wants to sit down and have a conversation with you. That's what prayer is. It is opening ourselves to the presence of God. Now, if we look in chapter 6, verse 9, it begins with our Father. Our Father, right? Our Father who art in heaven. Now, when Jesus said this, it's, it's written in, in Greek, but Jesus wasn't speaking in Greek. That's just how the scripture is translated. It's translated in Greek. Jesus would have spoken in Aramaic. The language of Aramaic would have been Abba. When he said, Our Father, he would have said, Abba. Now, what is Abba? We see Abba in Romans chapter 8. I want to take you there. Romans 8 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. It's basically, if you want to funnel it down, you know, in a nutshell, Teresa, it, it's saying to us that when we receive the spirit of adoption, we're no longer a slave to sin. We're no longer a slave to flesh. We get to say, Abba, Father. Abba. Now, I know, you know, for many of us men in particular, we're not going to call God Abba. Hey, Abba. Abba, Abba, Abba. Doesn't it kind of sound like a little two-year-old, doesn't it? Okay, I mean, I'm just talking to the men right now, okay, ladies? I know you may, you may call him Abba all day long. That's fine. You call him whatever you want. That's between you and him. But men, do, do you understand? Like, it's like Father, our Father, who art in heaven. And Abba seems just a little um, immature. Seems like childish, toddlerish. And I'm not advocating that you call him Abba, but I will say this Abba is not immature. In fact, it couldn't be further from immaturity. It's when we overcome the sin that entangles us that we step into the adoption that we call him Abba. You see, when we are so overwhelmed in our sin, when we are so overwhelmed in our ego and in our pride or in our anger or in our, our bitterness, Romans 8, 12 through 17, tells us that we live according to the flesh. Those of us who have been adopted as sons, heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs of Christ, we get to cry out, Abba. Abba isn't about a toddler climbing into grandpa's lap. 
Abba is about a warrior who has been set free from their addictions, a warrior who has been set free from the entanglements of sin, a warrior who understands that they are a son or a daughter. Prayer is our fundamental response to God. It shapes us in his image as we practice it faithfully and consistently. You know, there is, there is good scriptural evidence for finding prayer difficult. So if, if you find it difficult to pray, I know some people who, you know, they're just trying to bless a turkey on Thanksgiving and it takes two hours. And by the time they finish praying, you're not even hungry anymore. But some of us, at the very thought of saying one sentence, we, our, our palms start sweating, right? You ever been there? Your lip starts quivering like you're going to cry from praying one sentence? Like, I, I get it. I've, I've been there. I understand, I understand the trauma of prayer, the trauma of public prayer. Listen, there is scriptural evidence that prayer can be difficult to engage in. So if you find it difficult, don't feel shame. Don't feel like you're a wimp. Don't feel like you're a, a loser. You're not. You're normal. But here's the good news for us. Romans 8, 26 through 28 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. This is great news for every one of us because we put the burden of prayer on ourselves, and it's not even ours to carry. It's ours to surrender. To say yes to prayer so that the Spirit of God can pray through us. The perfect will of God. Did you know that even if you say all the, the wrong words, even if you repeat um, um, um a thousand times, the Spirit of God, the moment you say yes to prayer, the Spirit of God shows up to take over. The commitment to prayer can feel daunting. I know. I just, I, I hope that this week, this week, in the final seven days of prayer and fasting. You've got the fasting down, hopefully. You've done some praying, but I, I hope that this week you will carve out some very intentional moments with you and Jesus to pray. To give anyone or anything right now our undivided attention in a world that is full of distraction, I get is a big challenge. Even when you're home alone, I don't know, maybe this is just me, so I don't want to preach something that it's just a tray thing. But even if you're home alone with no distractions, there's so much that your mind has received in, like stimulus from the world and culture and your own thoughts and your own fears and your own concerns, that even when it should be a moment of rest and a moment of peace, your mind doesn't want to let you get there. Is that just me or anyone been there? You know what I'm saying? He's robbing us. The enemy is robbing us of our rest. He is robbing us of our sleep. He is robbing us of our Sabbath. So this week, I guarantee you that there will be plenty of distractions. 
when you want to pray, I guarantee you there will be plenty of distractions, but pray anyway. Like every other spiritual discipline that we've talked about and we've, we've grown into, the key to starting is simply starting. As we begin the important, um, as we begin praying, the important thing, I suppose, is just to start and then keep going, right? Allow the Holy Spirit to give us the words to speak. Allow him to give us the burdens to carry. This week, we're gonna make prayer time intentional and focused. I, I hope that every time you pray, here's what I would like you to start out with. The armor of God. Ephesians 6. I put on the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, sword of the spirit, shield of faith, belt of truth. My feet are ready to walk in peace so that no fiery dart of the enemy, no distraction of culture or the world can, can prevent me from this moment and stepping into the glory of God, right? To start with Ephesians 6, put on the armor of God and then spend time in prayer. Uh, this week is a big week. And if you don't know why, bless you. Um, it's, it's a big week. We've got an inauguration scheduled this week, but it's not just big for America. Um, there, there's tension in Israel right now. Netanyahu, Gantz, the Knesset, all of that is in turmoil. There is turmoil in Iran right now. Well, when is there ever not? But specifically, tensions are extremely high right now in Iran. In addition, uh, Jerusalem this week turned 70 years old. Jerusalem, the Bible refers to Jerusalem as the holy city. You can find all kinds of prophecies about Jerusalem. Um, and I, I won't speak too much right now. I'll just say this week is a big week. It's a big week prophetically. It's a big week spiritually. It's a big week politically. It's a big week for America and for the world. There's no better time to be intentional with your prayers than this week. And, and listen, I hope that we reach a point that we can pray from a place of peace rather than a place of anguish and desperation. Now, if desperation gets you there, use it, Lord. But I, I hope that we can Pray from a place where no matter what's going on around us, we know that God is good. We know that he's got it. We know that we're a son, that we're a daughter. I mean, can, can you trust God and pray from a place of peace if your candidate isn't president? Can you still trust God if there is no president of the United States? That's a scary question. Can you still trust God if Jerusalem is leveled? Can you still trust God if New York is attacked? Can you still trust God if America falls? Come on, some of us have made America our God. I'm just asking, how much do you trust Him? Not that I am predicting or prophesying these things to happen. I'm saying we need to do some evaluation, church. Because never before in the history of humankind has the church ever encountered what we're about to step into. That is prophetic, and you can take that to the bank. The church is about to encounter something that it's never seen before.
And have you put in the time in your prayer closet, in the secret places, so that in the public square, you're not relying on the daggers of your own words, but you're relying on the power of God to keep you, to sustain you, to use you, and to transform your city, your nation, your neighbor. Romans 16:20 and I'm done. It says the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Isaiah 9:6. It's a Christmas verse and I just love it. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called wonderful, counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Church, I just want to encourage you today. There is nothing that you, your family, our nation, or the world will experience this week that catches God by surprise. And there is nothing that you will experience that He hasn't already planned to work for your good. Amen. Father, we come before you today. God, I ask that you would just move us to a heart of prayer. God, for those of us in the room and watching online, we, we, we sent you calling us. We're, we're ready to say yes to you, Lord, to make Jesus the Lord of our life. Father, we repent. We repent. We turn our thinking. We turn our trust from trusting in our own abilities, trusting in our financial portfolio, trusting in our education, trusting in the people around us and the connections. God, we repent from that. We turn our view to you. We trust in no one, nothing but you, Lord. And we say thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on a cross for our sins so that we could be in relationship with him. God, today we say yes to you. We say yes we say, yes, we believe that Jesus died on a cross, that he rose again so that we could be in relationship. From this moment forward, our life will never be the same. We are sons and daughters. In Jesus' name I pray. Let the church say, amen. If you just said yes to Jesus for the very first time, maybe you're coming back home today. Will you please text NEXT, N-E-X-T, to 512-980-1220. God bless you.